So yeah, we're gonna see some stuff. Pink oh princess God. crown. That's a teddy bear. <laughs> this is a whole contraption. I don't. Ooh. You won't even know it's there after about a few minutes. <laughs> Interesting. I hate my voice so much. Oh, stop I it. I love your voice. Do you? Why? I have an awful accent. I wish I sounded Australian. Should I start Australian? Should yeah. I be like, Oi, Dan, how you doing, mate? How you going? Good eye, mate. That's not a knife. This is a knife. That's the greatest <laughs> That's line. very good. That's very good. Yeah. I like that. And I did. I had a better one when I was a kid. Because I was obsessed with Crocodile Dundee. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, you? For sure. I oh. Loved, it was the greatest movie ever. What? Oh, it was yeah. it is a good movie. Yeah. So welcome to Catching Up. I'm sitting across the table from one of the most important people in this building, arguably even more so than our own CEO, in my opinion. In my spicy. opinion. He, he doesn't listen. Oh, so it, spicy. It, yeah, yeah. Joy, tell me about yourself. Tell me what your role is here and the sensitivity that is around the topic that you cover for the Ocean Cleanup. Hi, I'm Joy. I am the finance director at the Ocean Cleanup. Um, I am originally from Sydney, Australia, but I moved to the Netherlands to work at the Ocean Cleanup. I've been here for three years now and have been working in the finance team. Finance, fun subject, um, sensitivities. Yeah, finance as finance in general, number crunching, Excel sheets, all that boring bingle bop, but what gives me so much energy working here is that at a nonprofit, finances are crucial to be able to manage this project well. Um, money runs the world, but not only that, it runs our projects. To be able to actually get to where we want to be in 2040 um, with all the oceans clean, you need money. So a crucial part of my role is actually managing where we spend our money, how we spend our money, and ensuring that the way that we spend our money makes the most impact, but also gives comfort to all our donors that their money and their hard-earned funds that they have given to us are protected and used in the best way possible to forward our mission. And I like, I like the direction you went off the top with it. Of course, with any organization or any business or any company, inside the walls of the company or the business or organization it's important to keep let the management know this is how we're spending money to let the employees know or the workers or the staff to know this is how we spend the money but as you stated we're in a very unique situation with the ocean cleanup because we are a nonprofit, mm -hmm. and we need to pass along to our supporters to people that listen to this podcast to people that send in their piggy bank money to even to the 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 big wig donors who are, yep. like you said, throwing out millions and millions of dollars. But we need to sort of report to them where this money goes. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't do that, we, we definitely believe in being fully transparent all the way around the board with this, with this place. Like we do this in the ocean, we do this on rivers, we do this with everything we do. But it's hugely important to do this with the money as well because we want to pass along to yeah the kids that are that are sending money thinking yeah. that they're knowing that they're saving helping to save the ocean mm -hmm. how does it make you feel having this responsibility because you are in a sense the eyes and the ears of that process yeah i i like to think of myself as the gatekeeper um 
it's important to yeah respect the money and as a foundation to me it's even more important than for a for-profit company that we're fully transparent but also very accountable um, with how we spend our money um, it's not appropriate to spend it in a way which yeah you would not be comfortable telling a donor hey thanks for your ten dollars this is I, I spent it on a drink it's like no they want to see what where did that ten dollars go and how did that contribute to the mission so um, it is a big responsibility but it also is really enjoyable because then you as an accountant you can be an accountant anywhere you can be an accountant at a bank you can be an accountant at I don't know somewhere selling glass bottles riveting but then at the ocean cleanup you know everything that you're doing is for the bigger picture like the money that you're managing is not just to oh make more money for someone's pocket it's really to yeah be utilized in the best way possible to generate impact so that being said, we have compiled a handful of questions. The new thing with the, with our podcast here is that we have been throwing it on YouTube and we're really interacting with the people that are listening to it. So we've compiled some questions. So let's let's dig in. And the first one is exactly what you said. What do we spend our money on and, and what portion goes where? Yeah. What do we spend our money on? Um, we like to split our, I guess, our base funds into the different projects we do. We've got Oceans, the big project um, out in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and then we've got Rivers, multi-projects, multi-years, different countries, different partners. Um, the bulk of our money actually is just for Oceans and Rivers. Probably up to 60 to 70% of our money goes there. Then we've got probably 10% for our other core functions, so you think catch management, um, after actually extracting the waste, where does it go? How do we process it? And then also research. So um, the work that the research team is doing, Laurent, looking at samples, publishing papers, looking at the data behind all the trips that we take. Um, that's probably most of our money. Then we've got probably around 20% max um, to cover all our support functions um, or what I'd like to call enabling functions. So think finance, IT, HR, to enable the organization to do everything smoothly and that we're not a burden, but we're actually helping the mission get faster and have a structure in place to move with. Um, and then also the delightful communications team um, and also the fundraising team, so or funding and partnerships. Because it really is a machine, yes. this place, and, and it has to keep going in every aspect, down to yeah. even, like you said, communications and and funding and the business side of it but the thing that i that i i don't think our donors and our supporters fully understand is how much it costs say per day mm. to run the ocean i we're, we have two ships oh, out yeah. there we have it's a massive operation so let's get a little bit deeper yep. out of so you mentioned the ocean and the rivers of course are our our biggest mm -hmm. that's where we spend the most money out of the ocean, what what percentage of it goes to the offshore operations? Yeah, so if you count everything that goes to an offshore trip, one trip for six weeks is roughly 2.5 mil. Um, and yeah. that's euros or US? Euros. And that's including already support that we get from Merck in kind. So if we were to pay for all of this ourselves, it would be a much higher number. Um, yeah, and that only runs six weeks. So if you think about a year, then easily 2.5 times as many trips as we do. Last year, I think we did six. Then it racks up quite quickly. So it's very impressive to think of how much we have accumulated from our supporters and, mm -hmm. and, and how important that's been because we've been doing this for so long now. Yeah. 
how being in Rotterdam, being in the office, you know, but you're also very connected to these projects. Mm-hmm. What runs through your mind when you're watching the ships go? You see, you watch the video of the of the Maersk trader and the tender going out to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and you have this deep knowledge of what exactly that took financially to make it happen. So it's you're seeing this from a completely different perspective. Tell me about this. Yeah, it's crazy though, because when you look at all the, like what is coming back on land and then like all the people that are involved, to me, like I'm it on camera, it makes it look so easy, you know? Like, oh, we just do this and we just go offshore and then pick up all this trash, bring it back on land, easy peasy. But in the background, yeah, there's so many people working to make sure that we have all the right people in place, in the right country, at the right time, getting on the boat at the right time. All those suppliers that are involved in, yeah, procuring our assets, um, yeah, renting the boat, chartering the boat, all of that happens in the background and has to be organized way up in advance before we actually get out there. So, yeah, it's not the sexiest work, but it's, yeah, to make the machine run. Yeah, it's the cogs that need to just continue going as they do. Everything needs to work smoothly so there are no problems once it's out in the ocean. So Nice. Another question we got is how can I trust that you don't spend the money irresponsibly or line the pockets of the CEO? Oh. Well, for one, I think I can answer this also in terms of lining the pockets of our CEO because we just had our uh, 10-year birthday as the ocean cleanup and watching the videos from the last 10 years and seeing the clothes that Boyan wears, he's wearing the same shirts (laughs) for about a decade. So he's certainly not spending the money on clothing. We know this, right? But how can Johnny in Oklahoma who sent his piggy bank money know that his money that he sticks in an envelope and and says dear joy here's ten dollars that I made from my allowance I want to use this ten dollars to clean the ocean yeah how does he know that that's where the money goes to there's as a nonprofit, we obviously have like the hard restrictions where we have to do reporting annually so we perform an uh, annual audit Um, it's a financial audit we yeah, audit all the numbers and then print out an annual report every year. That's one. Um, but internally, we also have a lot of like rules and guidelines on like what we expect from our people on how we spend money. So that can go all the way down from um, how do we buy like big projects, big assets, but also down to individually when you travel, uh, what you can spend your money on and what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. Um, the message that I always like to, I guess, share with the crew, the base like understanding we should all have is as long as you're comfortable with telling a donor face to face, this is exactly what I spent your $10 from a bake sale money that you've collected on. um, And this is what I've achieved with it. That should be, yeah, the guiding star on how we should use our money. Um, but then all the hard rules around it make sure that we do have the checks in place, that um, someone is reviewing um, the expenses that people submit, or that when we yeah, decide to start a new project, we have quite a rigorous criteria on like, why would we do this project over another project? Is it because this is the most polluting river? Is it um, in an area which yeah needs the help? Do we have government, like, the government there locally rallying us to yeah, get involved. So um, all these criteria also influence how and where our money goes. And it's important also, like you mentioned, the government side of things as well, because we do we are in countries spending money that we're getting from other countries. There's a bit of a 
you know, when you think of taxes and you think of all of the, there's so much that goes into what you do. I'm, I, it truly is fascinating because when you think of raising money that comes from one country and then we're spending money in another country, there's that, there's all kinds of stuff we have to we have to go through. How? Another question we have is how exactly is our foundation set up mm-hmm. that we can do this in the U.S. and Malaysia and be based in the Netherlands? Yeah, I think the the easy answer is actually that we have a lot of partners locally. So um, us ourselves, we're a locally based Dutch foundation. We do have a US entity, which is the American Friends of the Ocean Cleanup, and they are a independent US entity which supports our operations through fundraising. Um, However, let's say we're in Malaysia and we've got a big project running there, which we do, and we've got a local donor that wants to contribute. Um, The ideal scenario actually is to, yeah, be in a good partnership with a number of other foundations in that area, which can help us, yeah, achieve the same goal without the money being sent all the way to the Netherlands and back, because we need to spend it in Malaysia, because that's where the project is. Um, So we do rely on partners, for example, like UNDP um, in Dominican Republic. In Jamaica, we've got Grace Kennedy Foundation, and they kind of act as our local presence to help us, yeah, be able to collect funds, but also to raise funds. Great. When you think of cost per kilogram of plastic, mm. this is a popular question that that we get. How do you answer this? Like, what mm. does it cost to pull out one kilogram of plastic? Yeah, I. Mm, this is a really hard one, only because we are still in the early stages, I guess. Everything we're doing is still prototyping, we're still testing, and... We've, as an organization, not used that metric as one of our only metrics to determine success. Um, The reason is because when we do testing, sometimes we have to spend more money than we would have expected or had planned for um, to extract the same amount of plastic. Um, The learnings are something that we can't like quantify in a monetary sense. Um, So if we only took cost per kilo, you would have a very, very narrow view of operations. We're not it's this is not a robotic organization where we just pick up plastic and we weigh it and then it's done there's so much that goes into the planning of like developing partnerships stakeholder management um so yeah it's a hard one yeah i think at some point this is what everyone expects us to be measuring ourselves on and how success looks like for a company that is collecting waste um i would say we there will still be some time until, yeah, we've got all the technology set up that we know exactly how the technology works to be able to really firmly say, like, this is the only KPI we should be looking at. So the important thing for people to remember is that you, if you're thinking you're sending your 20 euros or your $20, you're, you're not necessarily buying kilograms of plastic. You're investing in the future mm-hmm. of the project which is more important actually than anything else because that's what's going to keep this project alive so that in the future, mm-hmm. years down the line, then we're going to be having such low costs per kilogram, yeah. right? Because we're, we're, they're investing in the technology, the experimenting, the research, the everything that's, that's going on right now in the organization is going to benefit the world much more in years to come it already is every yeah. year we're growing and growing and getting better and better i think if for example when we started um the initial system 002 trips and started using a cost per kilo that number would be wildly different from what it is now it's only been a year but that number has gone down significantly if you look at yeah 
back in 2021. The expectation is also different. You look at that number and you're like, oh, so then next year, 2024, is it going to be the same number 23? No. Right. Hopefully it keeps going down right. because we're learning, because the tech's getting better. So yeah, right now, while we are still growing and moving as an organization, just pining all our hopes on one number, cost per kilo, isn't going to actually give us a good indication that, yeah, this is actually what it takes. Like your $1 does this much um, because your $1 only extracts this much plastic, but contributed to learnings, which will then, yeah, turn into something much greater down the line. What's the toughest part of your job? Ooh, toughest part of finance. Toughest part of my job, my day-to-day -day job, or like, hmm, I think it's, yeah, strategically planning for the future because of all the unknowns. Um, the day-to-day, -day, like, unusual stuff, like making sure everyone gets paid, making sure our suppliers are paid and happy, that part's easy. It runs and, and should run like clockwork. The hardest part is really looking into the future and then trying to make some assumptions on what we think we need in 2024, 2025. Um, because of our tech changes, everything can move quite quickly. My assumptions from historical, so my last year, the years before, play very little basis upon forming my future expectations for the organization. So sometimes you'll prepare something, you prepare a budget for say one year, January you start, and then by March you're like, oh wow, that's out of date now. We've learned new things, um, technology we thought would do really well here, didn't do so well, but we found something else. The constant rework also is very draining because then the organization, you have to keep up to speed. Hey, so we were going that direction, but actually we found an even better way. Let's pivot. Um, that's very challenging. And then making sure then the numbers are consistent is also challenging because people will get stuck on one number. They're like, oh, I thought you told me the budget was this much. And then I go, well, actually, all, all six things here change, therefore our budget is a totally different amount. And trying to keep everyone up to date so they don't just pine themselves on this one number in the distance, like, oh, I just need to raise this amount, or this is the cost of the project in Malaysia. Um, yeah. Okay, so you've been here for three years. In the three years, what, what has been your favorite moment on the financial side where you saw the whole puzzle sort of coming together from what you do to the operations to impact seeing seeing something actually happening yeah i think when i started the budgets that we had compiled initially were like quite light um, and then over the last few years we've gotten much better as a group as well focusing on like how do we better regulate ourselves financially like how do we regulate our spending but also how do we communicate that i think uh, even last year after preparing our last budget for 2023 i got to a point where i feel felt much more comfortable that like everyone is committed and knows the same budget. We all know what the goals are and we also know that like each department is not on its own. So if Oceans finds a saving, they shouldn't be hoarding it for themselves. They should actually tell the wider group, hey, we've made some savings. Are there other projects that need this fund, uh, this funding? So that was probably a nice moment. Um, but it's still, I feel like there's still so much to do that I can't say like that was like, ah, everything has clicked because I don't think that moment has like fully clicked yet. We're still a little off. I think, yeah, as the organization grows, making sure the communications across everyone is very crispy is not there yet. It's, it's still in the oven. It's, it needs a little bit more time. So. But it's so fascinating to hear this come from this angle because it's like we said earlier, when you think of watching the videos and you think everybody, like if I were to talk to Feta and I'd say, what was your best moment? It would undoubtedly be the first time he saw the massive 
amount of trash pulled on the back deck and we saw it hit hit the deck of of the tender Mm -hmm. because this was this physical Mm -hmm. uh emotional moment that that was experienced out in the field but for you it's something that happened maybe sitting at your desk but it's as impactful and as important for the organization as well yeah it's usually actually in meetings when you realize like you actually see the light in everyone's eyes and they like actually like oh joy's not just talking random things like I actually understand what she's saying this is amazing and then you can also see people like actually ask you questions back and like oh so does that mean when we do our forecasting if I find extra money what do I do with it and then those conversations make people go ah everyone's learning we're getting somewhere which is great um yeah it's not as like yeah like I don't know it's not an out-of-body experience I don't like yeah have an out-of-body experience experiences in meetings but it's still just very very nice that i'm like ah yes people are listening and we're we're moving we're moving forward so i would like to see like large amounts of trash just piled onto a deck though because i think that would be really cool were you involved with the sorting here yes i was involved in the sorting so so this was so this was one of the moments where people in the office had the opportunity to sort of get their hands dirty, right? Tell yeah. me tell me what this experience was like for you and, and others that no, don't always necessarily get out into the, the dirty part yeah. of this job. No, I think it's it was actually crazy. So we went last year and I didn't really know what to expect because you see the videos, you're like, oh yes, of course, trash, disgusting. Look at all of this. It's it's a mess. Let's sort it. But when you're physically there, it's it's so much worse than you could imagine. And the quality of the stuff that you're going through is, gar- it's garbage. It's just garbage. We were sorting like um, a container from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. I think the days before we had other team members sort out bits and bobs, but then we were doing kind of like the dregs, the the really the ropes that were connected to each other, and it was a mess. It's like you know when you have like necklaces in a in a little box, and you shake them up, and then you just oh, I'm gonna throw it all out because it's just all tangled. It's that, but like each rope is like. I don't know, just really heavy. I could not lift half of them. Um, and you would have to have a crane, jiggle, jiggle, sort and separate. Um, it was shocking, I think. It really made me like being able to touch that plastic or like that garbage, essentially. I was like, wow, I can't believe what we're doing back yeah, in the office, not in anyone's face, just getting day-to-day stuff done is actually leading all the way to here. All this trash being brought back to the Netherlands and we're just now physically here untangling them and sorting them by color by type it's yeah completely crazy I think for me it really made me also appreciate like what goes into this Mm -hmm. because you look at it and you go oh sorting like I'm paying this much for someone to sort it that's really expensive but then when you actually do it you're like oh wow yeah I definitely pay someone to do that because I could be here all day and not be half as efficient as they are because I'd be like, what is this? Where do I put it? Yeah, it's it's a messy job. Um, yeah. yeah, true. Let's talk about joy. Ooh, hello. <laughs> you, again, just fascinate me. Like just being in a room with you and sitting across the table is just like a, it, it's this, you emit this energy. Where does this come from? How did How did you become so joyous <laughs> I don't know I just don't feel like there's something I feel like every day I'm going to have to exist regardless if I'm sad or happy so why should I exist today unhappy yeah I just I don't know I 
I also like seeing other humans smile and I, I believe in this thing where like happiness is like it spreads right it's like a bubble so yeah. if you're happy then the people around you are happy and they're happy and they'll make other people happy and so yeah you have to exist on this planet somehow so you might as well do it smiling than crying right and it must come with the name like there's like an obligation if you're named joy you have to emit joy right my chinese name actually means quiet and tranquil so that's wrong <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't fit yes so let's let's keep it to the joy side but how tell me tell me a little bit about yourself where you're you're not from the netherlands nope. where are you from how did you end up here how did you end up working for the ocean cleanup oh fun so i'm originally from sydney australia uh, my boyfriend he loves boyan loves Boyan a lot. Um, back when he was 16, saw Boyan's TED talk, was like, oh my God, this guy is awesome. Anyway, fast forward to his, I think, 24th birthday, he set up a Facebook fundraiser during the time when Facebook fundraisers were a thing. Um, at the time, I was an auditor, so I used to audit, yeah, mostly nonprofit, government, life sciences, kind of like mid-sized organizations that were looking to grow um, back in Sydney. Um, Realize audit is not my thing. No one likes auditors, of course. So I was like, hmm, this is not a job that brings other people joy. Um, and I don't like rocking up to clients where I'm like, hey, it's me. And they're like, it's joy. I really don't want to see you. <laughs> and it was very disappointing. So he set up a Facebook fundraiser, my boyfriend. Um, and then he was like, donate, be my first donor. I was like, I, I'm an auditor. I don't donate to random foreign charities in the Netherlands. Like, what do they do even? So then I went onto the website, had a little browse, went through their annual report and I was like, wow, actually really cool. They actually spend a lot of their money on programs and not on like general admin, whatever that is. Cause yeah, in charity world, you can kind of funnel money everywhere and make it look like you spent it more on programs, but looking at the, yeah, the actual numbers at the ocean cleanups annual report, I was like, oh, this actually looks really interesting. If I donate, it will actually go somewhere useful. So I did. And then I was browsing the website, found a role and I was like, oh, this looks cool. I'm, I'm just going to submit my resume. Who knows? Maybe they'll contact me. Maybe they won't. I didn't get a call for like months. I was like, ah, yeah. In the Netherlands, there's plenty of like financial professionals. They're not going to contact me. And then I got a ring one day um, while I was, yeah, just working. I finished a meeting and then I got a call from a Dutch number. I was confused. I was like, I don't know anyone in the Netherlands who's ringing me. Picked it up. They were like, oh, hi, there's a, you've got an interview with the CFO in half an hour. You haven't accepted. Are you ready? And I was like, no, but I'll take it. Um, it was Marika. And I was like, and I'd never heard of the name Marika. So I had no idea what a Marika was. I was like, who, who has called me? I don't know what's going on. Had my call uh, with Jos, the previous CFO, and it took probably another five months, and then I finally made it here. So, yeah, no, it was really nice. And for those listening that don't know what a Marika is either, Marika is an awesome, awesome person. A lovely, wonderful human being. Yeah, and, yeah. and she listens to this podcast, so hello, Marika. Hello, thank you for calling me. <laughs> yeah. But this, this was not your true purpose on this planet if i understand correctly you, <laughs> your true intention was to be a pop star oh tell me this oh, no. story oh no i've heard rumors and and after <laughs> knowing you now as well as i know you i can actually mm. believe these rumors also because i've seen your moves oh no all of them oh dear highly impressive i i, I still to this day cannot believe some of the the dancing and the 
the things I see you doing just in the kitchen at lunchtime. This isn't even at a dance club at three in the morning. This is noon in a kitchen. So tell me this story. Oh, what no. was what was your intention? What what did you want to be? Oh no. Oh no, Dan. I was okay, so when I was probably sixteen, no, probably like fourteen, I fell in love with Korean pop music. Yeah, K pop. That was my life. I was obsessed. Um I started just listening to the music obviously and then at some point I was like the dances are really cool so then I started like essentially learning the dances to that so learning the choreography and then eventually it got me to a place where I was like I would love to finish high school and then just I don't know go to Korea and train and be a Korean pop idol Um, I'm not Korean I'm Chinese I do not speak Korean so that would have been a challenge and then in the meantime my mom was like probably a better idea that you do something to you know like how are you going to fund your trip to Korea how are you going to train in Korea Um, and I was like I don't know so I started yeah doing accounting or I started an audit uh, when I was 20 I was doing uni and work simultaneously and then as I kind of went on in my life I realized that like k-pop or like the dancing involved there is like not really dancing so then I actually started like taking hip-hop classes and stuff like that I had yeah joined crews back in Sydney danced with friends entered competitions and that's yeah yeah it it is incredible actually so you're you're currently taking hip-hop dance classes like this is where you went last night right yes. to what what is a hit describe what a <laughs> hip-hop dance class is like like you walk in a classroom or are you walking down like a graffitied up alleyway oh no so back when i was in uni it was definitely just like random places on the street where you'd find a reflective surface like you'd go to a building which was usually an office building was reflective so you would dance against the reflective surface now like i can take actual classes in like a studio so then you would just have like a big mirror at the front a lot of space and then you're just running around dancing and what kind of music are you dancing to what kind what is your favorite hip-hop music oh i i like old school hip-hop that's fun to dance too. Like, so give me some examples. Well, n- my favorite is probably '90s though. So uh, that's my decade. TLC is my favorite. Okay. Yeah, just something groovy, something with a beat, something that you can like, yeah, jam to, and it's not like too hardcore. I don't really, yeah, rap is is nice to listen to, but I don't really dance to rap. But yeah, then last night I was doing a house class, so it's like house sort of music. So. A lot of footwork, a lot of yeah, movement. It's yeah, it's fun. Keeps me alive. Well, we're very we're very lucky that you changed your mind. But there, there's always time. You're you still have the whole rest of your life ahead of you to become a oh no K-pop star. I'm too still. older. I'm too old now. No, there you don't is understand. There's no such Dan. thing as too old. No, you don't understand. I do. The, in the K-pop world, you've got like kids that are literally 14. So yeah, I'm now too old. Besides, okay, so besides hip hop classes, what do you do on what's what's a weekend like when you're not crunching numbers for the ocean cleanup or telling people where their money is going? What do you enjoy doing? I dancing is probably the biggest one. I like to dance. Yeah. I like doing yoga. I yeah, it's nice. Oh, on the weekends, I do like me time. I like to just take care of myself and just cook a nice meal, do my skincare. Skincare is my favorite thing to do every day. That's like my like self-therapy that I give myself. So, hmm. yeah, okay. that's nice. Going back to the financial side of the ocean cleanup, in your opinion, 
how are we doing as an organization? Like you, you know the numbers on the backside, and you see what we're doing, and you and you know the intentions that we have for the future. Are there nights where you stay up late worrying? Hmm. Not recently, no. Not recently, no. Because I I feel confident now. Everyone seems much more aligned on kind of where we want to go, um, and kind of also concretely yeah defining what the vision looks like for the next five years um when i was more worried was when we didn't have such a clear view what would we be doing after this year Um, what would that next year look like because if we were in a stage where we were still testing trying to come up with like what would the numbers look like for next year is much more difficult than now when I can quite comfortably say like, oh, we definitely want to continue with system three and possibly add a system four. And doing that extrapolation is much easier than like, let's start from scratch and make a whole new system. So um, that's very comforting. But also what's comforting is that like, we are developing a lot more relationships with our donors, um, of our potential donors, um, potential foundations that might support us, um, more, more and more, people are getting involved. So in that sense, you can feel safety financially in that sense that we will find the right people to help us continue our mission. Um, If we were not to have such a large base of supporters, you could be more worried because yeah, we would then have a finite amount to spend and then we wouldn't be able to reach all the way to 2040. But at this point, I think we know where we need to be. So the people that are coming along with us on this journey also know that that's our vision. And yeah, there will be a way which will work out where will the money come from so that we can continue funding this mission. And what does that look like in terms of, it's interesting because we've had through the years, we've had some massive funders Mm -hmm. get get on board recently as well. What? How's this process happen? Is is so we're we're we go to the funder. They offer to donate millions and millions of euros because they believe in what we're doing as well. And so is Boyan just calling you up one night and saying, "Hey Joy, we just got twenty eight million euros. Hey Joy, we just got fifty million euros." And then how does what's a banking transaction like that look like? <laughs> So sometimes you actually do get those surprises. We actually do sometimes get emails or like messages on WhatsApp from Boyan. Like, hey, I had a great conversation with this person. They're really um, interested. Um, These are the next steps. Usually the next steps are like, yeah, let's make a contract, make it formal. Um, Yeah, note down like the commitments that we will give to them and they will give to us. Um, But sometimes it literally will be just like, oh, yeah, I secured it. It's all right. Let's let's get on with the payment. So our banking details are also visible on our website. So sometimes we also have donors that are so enthralled by what we do and they're like, amazing, I'm going to immediately send you a check. So that also happens. So sometimes we receive checks in the mail we might not expect and go, wow, thank you so much to this anonymous person. They've just decided to donate $100,000 to us with no, yeah, yeah, nothing on who they are. Um, so we are really we are in an extremely fortunate position as a nonprofit. The nonprofits that I've seen back in Australia, you do not get like such big names and also like big organizations that just come to us that want to work with us. Usually, you spend a lot of time trying to find these organizations, finding people with the same sort of yeah goals and missions in mind, and helping fulfill that with them. We here do have 
the luxury of like people coming to us and going, hey, I've heard about the ocean cleanup. What can I contribute to this mission? And sometimes it's monetary, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's in-kind support. So what we also get sometimes are offers from really large organizations. Hey, I've got a great network. Do you want to connect with us and brainstorm on ways to make, um, yeah, help you out with yeah creating a financial instrument, for example, or um, do we want to talk about plastic credits together? So a lot of these conversations do come from also the outside world coming to us instead of us seeking them. Um, yeah. One important aspect of it that I've thought about through the years as well is as we start to get, it, it's incredible to think of some of the amounts of money that gets mm -hmm. donated from individuals, but it's still just as important for the kids donating the piggy bank money or yeah, the people, definitely. we because it's not only about the money as much as it's also just about the support, right? Yeah. I mean, there are also small donations that come in from kids all over the world. And, yeah. and because of that, it grows the interest and the excitement for the project itself, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. I think one of the favorite things that the finance team shares, because we often collect mail, um, and then we open the mail, and sometimes it's a surprise, sometimes it's a check, but sometimes it's actually a really lovely letter from someone that they've had a bake sale at their school, they've raised $200, and they've decided to send that to us, and they would like us to send back like a thank you. And those are kind of the moments where you read them and you're like, wow, I can't believe what we're doing here really impacts someone so far away, somewhere in the US, they decided to host a little bake sale for us. And it's, yeah, Boyan gets fan mail all the time, all across the world, and reading them are always so fun. There was one last year from um, a school in Japan, I think, and they folded little origami like, um, what do you call them? Those little things that ninjas throw, like the little nunchucks or uh, no, the Chinese stars. Yeah, kind of like the little stars. So they were, those are in the package, and then they made like a whole like news article, like a, yeah, a kid made a news article in Japanese about like the ocean cleanup, and like seeing those things, you realize that like yeah, it's not the money that matters, but it's also like the just the fact that like we've inspired kids to be also interested in this problem. Um, they don't donate now because they're children, but maybe when they get older, they'll become the next accountant. They'll become the engineers that will actually want to join a company like this to contribute their skills because yeah, money isn't the only thing that we talk about when we say resources, right? So, yeah. So what, what is one of the most important aspects of the ocean cleanup that you think we need to get across to our supporters? Yeah, um, not just to our supporters, but also to our internal crew. We're a nonprofit. Um, the money that we receive is from, yeah, the people all across the world that are supporting this mission. Because of the nature of what we do, we're not your typical nonprofit. A typical nonprofit often um, is the recipient of funds, but then they'll find other partners to, and programs where those funds will go to. So they don't actually all the time administer that program, for example. Um, us, on the other hand, we actually raise the money and we use it in-house to actually develop technologies, um, deploy projects. It's To me, it's this weird combination, uh, which is good, but at the same time makes it way more difficult to say that like we're just a non-profit. Um, we've got that kind of start-up-y element in us, obviously. like We came from yeah just the roots of Boyan and his pocket money designing from scratch how to clean the oceans. Um, so that culture of like innovation is really strong in our 
um, in our DNA. We want to be able to just like use money, fail fast, test. Um, and sometimes that can contradict with how we should be spending our money, which is with a lot more rigor, with a lot more thought and like consideration. So it's trying to balance both sides to say, yes, let's um, encourage innovation in this organization. Let's encourage creativity. But at the same time, please remember, we're not a, yeah, like a, a regular tech startup where money is coming from one investor and we can just spend the money to try something. Like we always have to keep in mind whatever we do spend, we really hope that an actual outcome comes from it um, and that we do have success with it. So sometimes it is a juggle, also reminding like the crew that like, yes, please use this amount of money to test and it's okay if you fail, but please also be mindful that like, yeah, really think about your planning, really make sure your planning is tight and your scope is clear, your deliverables are going to be met. Don't just test for the sake of testing, really test with a purpose in mind because yeah, that's where the money, yeah, the money is coming from donors. You, It's not just free money for you to just, yeah, spend and fail with. So yeah, that's always hard. It's a juggle, but I think over time, the organization is responding a lot better. Every time I have the opportunity, I always like to remind everyone, hey, we're a nonprofit. Um, the money is from donors, from your mum and pops back at home, all the way to big corporates, but that doesn't change the fact it's donations. Yeah. Right. Something that you mentioned a couple of times is this term in-kind. To yeah. somebody that might not understand what in-kind is, mm -hmm. explain what that is and, and how do we put a dollar sign, euro sign to that in terms of finances? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, actually. And it's something that we're still trying to figure out internally. How do we track it better? How do we register it? How do we record it? Um, what is donations in kind? Donations in kind is when you have um, a gift that is not monetary, usually of something that you would have purchased with money. So for example, let's say we have a big project and we need some consultants to help us. Um, instead of us paying for a consultant, if we find the right partner and they're willing to give us a very big discount or do it pro bono completely, then we would have saved the money we would have used to pay for a consultant. So um, that's one example. The other example would be, let's say we need equipment. We need a crane rented out on site for a few days. The crane company locally knows who we are and goes, hey, I'd love to support the ocean cleanup. I can't give you cash for it, but actually I'm willing to have my guys go out there for two days, do everything you need us to do, no payment asked. So that's kind of what in-kind is when I yeah, mentioned that. Um, how do we track it? That's one of the hard things, right? Because the problem with in-kind is always, yeah, you can't always know exactly what that amount they've given you is. You can make an estimate and go, well, if I was to hire the crane, that probably would have costed, I don't know, $2,000 a day. Um, so you can arbitrarily assign a value. Um, and usually you use market rates. If you know just in Dominican Republic, every time we hire a crane, it's going to be $2,000 a day. You could say the two days that they helped out, $4,000, easy. Um, it gets also difficult when you've got like consultants because sometimes they'll do a project, but then the people on the project, you can't really say like that person's time was worth this many dollars per hour. Um, so what we're doing now internally is trying to first register and track all of them. Um, individually in the organization, people also have relationships where we might be getting pro bono legal support. We might be getting, um, yeah, tax support just via phone call. Some of those smaller things, it's harder to track, but we would like to get a full scope because those are also our donors. 
owners actually. You don't see physical cash come in, but they are also people that are helping us forward our mission. So it would be nice if we could also thank them in a systematic way and go, thank you so much, crane operator, for two days. You, Without you, we would have had to spend $2,000 of our own money. So yeah, it and, is difficult. Yeah, and we have ways of sort of paying back besides, of course, cleaning the oceans and the rivers because we can put a company on, we, we have millions and millions of followers and people doing what we, watching what we're doing. So we can, in return for in-kind donations, we can also throw some love towards the companies too by putting them on our website, mentioning them in social media posts. How how important is that to, a, to an organization to not necessarily get paid, like we don't pay the crane operator, but yet the crane operator gets to have his crane in a photo of building an interceptor or in, you know, like you mentioned Maersk. That's another great example. Yeah. These two blue ships yeah. out in the middle of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch with this massive ocean cleanup system in the middle has a pretty good price tag on it in terms of publicity and and doing good for the world, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, you've got all the stories from like the big Maersk equivalents to some smaller suppliers that might be doing something really boring like tax administration for us. But um, what gives me comfort also is that it is often, yeah, a very like friendly transaction. Everyone is really happy to be involved with us because we bring the name, but we also like excite their employees. And I think that's one of those aspects where like, it's very hard for us internally here to track, but you get all that feedback coming back from the MERS like, hey, it's so nice that like, we get to work with you because our staff are also really excited about your project. We get a bigger following of people that are watching the progress because their company is involved in it as well. Um, so it's not always just about dollar bills or euros definitely not no it's yeah you could think about it in the other way if we got more in-kind support we would also need less cash but at the same time something to me that is even more powerful than money that in-kind support actually ties you to the project closer it's very easy to just hand over money and then walk away uh, whereas when you're actually involved in kind, you are part of the project. You are actually also solving it with us and not just here, here's one million, please clean it up. It's here is my company. What can we do to open your networks? What can we do to support you? Um, do you need some money? Yes, we can also give that, but we can also help you manufacture, for example, or we can also yeah connect you to the right waste suppliers, waste managers in that country. So yeah, those kind of relationships is hard to quantify, but are equally, if not more valuable to us as a nonprofit. Yeah. What excites you the most about the ocean cleanup? What what part of, because you are often in the building, you're around where a lot of the behind the scenes action happens, but you are you also watch very closely what's happening in the field all over, mm. from rivers to uh, oceans to uh, even you know the recycling side of things and what and what's coming in the future what excites you the most I think it's just seeing all the pieces come together because we're in the background doing the kind of boring stuff like oh look this invoice is it paid tick you know but then when you actually see like oh wow that partnership did go really well or that yeah that relationship that we've been nourishing has actually turned to a fruitful one it's yeah very 
nice. I think in the office though, I really enjoy the humans. All the people here are just so lovely to work with and they're also really easy to talk to. So if there are any problems that I ever have in my day-to-day -day work, it's easier to just go up to someone to go, hey, I heard you're going out to yeah Guatemala next week. What can I do to help you? Um, is there anything that you need me to know? Do you have a relationship in Guatemala that yeah they expect payment soon? How can we arrange that for you? It's making sure that like all the pieces are connected. Like a lot of the time you think of like the boring back office functions as just kind of like beep boop, beep boop, doing their little thing in the background. But I'd like to see my team's role as well as being like, yeah, we are proactive and we're yeah on the same wavelength we're not just in the back processing whatever comes through but we actually know that so that we can anticipate how do we best help each other um yeah move faster um yeah well joy it has been a pleasure and for everybody that's listening you now know the person that is behind where all the money goes i mean it is a huge responsibility and it's something that that we do want to be fully transparent about so if you have questions please send them in to us i will personally deliver them to joy myself because we do want to keep this uh network open we want to keep the questions coming we want to keep answering the questions that you're sending to us so yeah keep supporting us joy is working her tail off taking care of everything right now and and if joy feels as confident as she's saying that makes me sleep better at night so thank you joy thank you everybody that's listening please continue to support us please continue to follow us on youtube follow us on instagram follow us on facebook and just keep doing whatever you can to help us solve this problem because we will do it and it's with your support that we're able to do it so thank you all so much joy unbelievably fun to talk to you Thanks, Dad. <laughs>